good morning. It is good to be here this morning. You know, last Sunday was a big Sunday here at Netherwood Park Church of Christ. Uh, Back in the very first Sunday of 2016, we laid a challenge before the congregation. The challenge was to read at least 6,000 books of the Bible as a congregation in 2016. We didn't know how realistic that was. We just kind of pulled 6,000 out of the air, to be quite honest with you. We thought maybe it's pretty aggressive, but last week we passed our goal. Um, And this week we're up to 6,205 books of the Bible, which was really a relief to me. Because I was afraid that once we, you know, reached the goal, everybody just stopped reading their Bibles and would be done. But I'm pleased to see that we are continuing on. Those of you who took on the Sprint to the Finish Challenge to read the New Testament through between now and the end of the year, um, I hope that that is going well. You're well into the book of Luke. In fact, you'll finish it tomorrow. So if you're doing that, good job. Keep it up. Look forward to seeing those reports coming in as well. So it's great that we as a body are so committed to God's word, so committed to reading his word, so committed to being immersed in it. I'm, pre- I'm very pleased to be a part of a body like that. So good job. Keep up the good work. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we, um, we praise you for what you have done for us, Father, what you are doing for us and what you will do for us. And Father, we are overwhelmed to know that we have a God like that, a God who has such great love for us. And Father, we pray that you will strengthen our love for you. And Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for all of the ways that you have put in place for us to come to know you better. Father, help us to be people who are in your word. Help us to be people who are animated by your spirit. Father, help us to be people who spur each other on to good works. Father, we want to be truly known as children of yours, so help us to shine your light into the world around us. And Father, we pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing in our latest sermon series that we're calling The New Me. And during this short series, we're focusing on the powerful and inviting image of being born again in Jesus Christ. We're examining the wonderful promise of living brand new lives, brand new lives in Jesus Christ. And we've seen that that transformation from the old me to the new me is a result of what God has done for us. What he's done for us through Jesus on the cross. And we've also seen that the transformation from the old me to the new me is a result of what God did for us when we were baptized. When we joined with Jesus in his death and his burial and his resurrection. And we've also seen that the transformation from the old me to the new me is a result of what God continues to do for us. We know that the transformation from the old to the new isn't complete in any of us. We know that we're all works in progress. We all are transition and renewal projects. So in this series, we're focusing on how God is working on us to transform us. And we're recognizing that transformation is the work of God. We also recognize that we have to do our part. And last week we learned that one of the ways that we do our part is by writing God's word on our hearts. 
And we said that the best way to write God's word on your heart is the old-fashioned way. By reading God's word, by hearing God's word, by repeating God's word, by memorizing God's word, by studying God's word and meditating on it and talking about it with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I promised that each week to remind us of how that works, of how we write God's word on our heart, that we're going to work together to write three short scriptures about new me, new me living on our hearts. We're going to do that by rehearsing those scriptures together every Sunday during this series. And our goal is to have those words of God written on our hearts by the end of this series. And the first scripture that we are rehearsing every week comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Where Paul wrote, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Say that part with me if you would. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. We're also rehearsing Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. And Paul says there that we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We were buried with him in baptism so that we may live a new life. Say that with me this morning. We were buried with him in baptism so that we may live a new life. And finally, we're rehearsing Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul there says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If you'll say that with me this morning. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We're going to continue to do that over the next couple of weeks. Rehearse those words so they'll be written on our hearts. See, we want to be people who consume God's word. We want to consume God's word because we know we are what we eat. And we know that the way that the old me becomes the new me, that transformation takes place is through feasting on God's word. I also think it's important that you know that this emphasis that we've been placing on being immersed in God's word, it's not a one-time event. It's not a one-year event. It's not a one-project thing that we've taken on here at Netherwood Park. Now, the leadership here at Netherwood Park is determined that part of our identity as members of this body is going to be that we are people of God's word. So you need to know this, that if you're going to be a part of this body, if you're going to be a part of this congregation, you need to be prepared to be encouraged. You need to be prepared to be nudged. You need to be prepared to be pushed, maybe even prodded to join together as a congregation, as members of this body, to continually feast on God's word. So it will be written on our hearts. And so we will see the transformation that will take place in our lives and in the life of this congregation. 
And I'm convinced that every one of us longs for, every one of us wants that kind of life. I'm convinced that every one of us wants a transformed life, a new life. A life that looks less and less like the old me and more and more like the new me. I'm convinced that every one of us wants a life that looks less and less like this world that we live in and looks more and more like Jesus Christ. But I'm also convinced that we struggle with what that kind of life really looks like. We struggle with what being more and more like Jesus Christ looks like in Albuquerque, New Mexico on October the 9th of 2016. In many ways, it seems much clearer what that life looked like in the first century in Galilee. It seems in many ways the goal was much more obvious then. See, people became more and more like Jesus Christ by literally following Jesus. That's how disciples were made. They followed their master. They watched and they listened to their master. They imitated their master. And the goal was that they would become just like their master. The goal was to become just like Jesus. And here we are 20 centuries later, and that goal hasn't changed. We, the disciples of Christ, we are called on to imitate our master. We're called on to follow our master, watch and listen and imitate him. With the goal being that we'll become just like our master. With the goal being that we'll become just like Jesus Christ. But I think sometimes we wonder. I think we wonder, how can we be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ without being able to literally, without being able to physically follow Jesus like they did in first century Galilee? How can we be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ without the physical presence of Jesus Christ? I want you to know this isn't a new concern. In fact, this is a 20th century old concern. In fact, this is a concern that we share with Jesus' very first disciples. And the solution to our concerns about not having Jesus physically present in our lives is the same solution that was given to the first disciples to take care of the concerns that they had about Jesus no longer being physically present in their lives. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 14, and we'll start reading um, at various points in there, probably about verse 5. So John chapter 14. So at this point in John's gospel account, we're nearing the end of Jesus' time on earth. And Jesus has tried to prepare his disciples for what's about to happen. He's tried to prepare them for his impending arrest, his impending trial, his impending execution. And of course, the disciples really don't understand what's about to happen. And of course, they really aren't prepared for what is about to happen So they're confused, and they are worried, and they're concerned about what life without Jesus will be like. They're worried and concerned about trying to be disciples without the presence of their master, the presence of their teacher. 
And Thomas kind of sums up their concerns this way in verse 5 when he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus' answer to their concern can be summed up this way. Jesus essentially says, I am leaving, but I'm not going to leave you alone. John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus continues on and he tells his disciples, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. He'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And then in verse 26, he continues to talk to his disciples. And he says, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Be at peace. Jesus says, don't be troubled, don't be afraid, don't be concerned. Be at peace even in my absence. And Jesus says that that peace in his absence is possible. And it's only possible because the disciples are not going to be alone. Their counselor is leaving, but peace is possible because God is sending another counselor. Their helper is leaving, but peace is possible because God is sending another helper. Their teacher is leaving, but peace is possible because God is sending another teacher. Jesus is leaving, but peace is possible because the Holy Spirit is coming And the Spirit is of the very same kind as Jesus. Jesus is leaving. But peace is possible because the Spirit is going to be with them forever. He'll never leave. So Jesus will no longer walk beside them. But peace is possible because the Spirit will live with them and the Spirit will live inside them forever. See, that's the solution to those first century disciples' concerns. They're concerned, how can we be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ without the physical presence of Jesus Christ? And the solution to their concern is also the solution to our concerns. How can we be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ without the physical presence of Jesus Christ? The answer is the same. Jesus isn't with us physically, but Jesus didn't leave us alone either. He left us with the Spirit. He left us with another counselor. He left us with another teacher. He left us with another helper. But how can the Spirit possibly be a true substitute for Jesus? 
How can someone like me stand up in front of you and claim that having the Spirit living with us and living in us is somehow a replacement for having Jesus Christ walking beside us? And I want you to know that's not my claim. It isn't my claim. It's Jesus' promise. Just turn a page or two over in your Bibles to John chapter 16. I think this is one of the most remarkable passages in all of the Bible. It's remarkable because Jesus says this, John 16, verse 5. He says, Now I'm going away to him who sent me, yet none of you asked me, Where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But listen to this, but I tell you the truth. It is for your own good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It isn't my claim that the spirit living with us and the spirit living inside us is a replacement for having Jesus Christ physically walking beside us. It isn't my claim. It's Jesus' promise. In fact, Jesus went so far as to assure us that having the Holy Spirit with us is even better than having Jesus walking beside us. He says, it's for your own good that I'm going away. Because if I don't go away, then the Spirit won't come. Jesus went away, but he didn't leave us alone. You're not alone You haven't been abandoned to somehow figure out how to become like your master all on your own. No, you're not alone. You haven't been abandoned to somehow navigate your way from the old me to the new me all on your own. You're not alone. You haven't been abandoned to somehow transform yourself from the old world way of living to the Jesus Christ way of living all on your own. No, you're not alone. You're not alone because when you were baptized, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit to live with you and to live in you, to be your counselor, to be your helper, to be your teacher. That's why we can't allow ourselves to miss the two great promises that were given at Pentecost. We're familiar with these verses. We're in Acts chapter 2. I'll start reading in verse 37. This is after Peter has convinced the crowd that Jesus, the Jesus whom they crucified, is both Lord and Christ. And we read that the people were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what? shall we do? Listen to how Peter replied. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, to all whom the Lord Jesus, the Lord our God, will call. See, there are two promises made at Pentecost. Two promises made to those of us who are far off from first century Palestine. First promise is, is if we will repent, 
If we will be baptized in the name of Jesus, our sins will be forgiven. And the second promise is, if we will do that, we will also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to his children. It's his gift to his children in this meantime that we live in. In this time after Jesus was taken up into heaven in his glory and the time before he comes back in his glory. It's God's gift to us in the meantime. See, we weren't abandoned by Jesus to transform ourselves from the way the world, from the way of the world into the way of Jesus Christ. We weren't abandoned to do that all on our own. Now we're not alone. The gift of the Spirit assures us of the continuing presence of Christ in the lives of those of us who are obedient children. And that's why at the beginning of this sermon, we were able to confidently join Paul in saying, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's the presence of the Spirit within us. It's the presence of the Spirit within us that allows us to understand that we can be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and that can happen in this life. In fact, the presence of the Spirit within us is what allows Paul to broadly, boldly proclaim that God's obedient children actually have the, actually have the very mind of Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. You need to understand that this letter was written to a church that was obsessed with human wisdom. Written to a church that was obsessed with human learning, obsessed with human knowledge, obsessed with human logic. And Paul tells this wisdom-obsessed church that God turned all wisdom, all human wisdom, into foolishness at the cross. So Paul tells them, that's why I didn't come to you and just blow you away with great eloquence. I didn't come to you and just blow you away with my superior reasoning, my superior human wisdom. He says, instead what I did is I simply came to you and proclaimed Jesus Christ as the crucified Messiah. And Paul says, I did this so that your faith wouldn't rest on men's wisdom, but your faith would rest on God's power. And then Paul puts on his best ironic voice. Essentially what Paul says, but if you want wisdom, I'll give you wisdom. So in verse 12 he says, this is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. He says, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness. To him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He says, The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. See, Paul's talking about transformation. He's talking about the transformation that's made possible by the Spirit. The transformation from the old me to the new me. 
the old me that has the mind of the world transitioned into the new me that has the mind of Christ. The transformation from the old me with the mind of the world that naturally rejects the gospel because it seems foolishness. That naturally rejects the message of the cross because it sounds like foolishness. But the new me understands true wisdom. It understands God's wisdom. It understands the wisdom of the cross because it understands the mind of Christ. And it knows the mind of Christ because it's been given the spirit. And Paul is quick to point out that having the mind of Christ isn't about having superior eloquence. It's not about being able to master human reasoning and human logic. Paul points out that having the mind of Christ is all about living like Christ. Having the mind of Christ is to live by the pattern, to live by the example that Jesus set for us, especially the example he set for us at the cross. See, having the mind of Christ is characterized by putting others and their needs above ourselves and our needs. That's the new me wisdom. That's transformed wisdom. This wisdom of the cross that we have been given through the Spirit is characterized by unity. It's characterized by humility. It's characterized by unity and humility rather than by possessing special knowledge or having impressive rhetorical skills or having eye-catching special gifts or ecstatic utterances. See, it's in time that we embrace the Spirit and embrace the fact that new me living looks like Jesus on the cross instead of looking like the world that put Jesus on the cross. And that's the kind of transformation that's possible with the Spirit living with us and the Spirit living in us. It's the kind of transformation that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. And then he says, your attitude, he says, your mind should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be greedily held on to. But instead he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. And then being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. See, no, we haven't been abandoned. We've been given the Spirit. And because we have the Spirit, 
then we're able to leave behind the old me. We can leave behind the attitude of the world. We can leave behind the mind of the world. We can leave behind foolishness. We can leave behind disobedience. We can escape deception and enslavement. We can leave behind hatred and divisiveness, selfishness and conceit. We can leave behind the immorality and impurity and jealousy of this world. And with the Spirit's help, we can instead live a new life. We can live a life that is lived with the same attitude as Jesus on the cross. We can live with the mind of Christ. A life where we're subject to the authorities and obedient to our God. A life where we're always eager to do good. We can live a life in peace and we can be considerate of others. We can be humble, we can be tender, we can be compassionate, and we can be united. We can serve and love each other in great joy while being patient and faithful, gentle and self-controlled. By the power of the Spirit, we can be transformed into the pattern of Jesus on the cross. Leave the final words to Paul from Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I think that's the simple truth of the matter. And that's that the new me, with the help of the Spirit, animated by the Spirit, the new me does good to all people. That's what it's like to have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit, the gift of your spirit. And Father, we know that the spirit is with us and the spirit is in us. But Father, we confess that we still struggle to live according to the pattern that Jesus set for us on the cross. Father, my prayer is also simple. Father, give us the mind of Christ. And Father, may you be glorified. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.